0: I love that picture we got to read in our Bible reading today of, of Peter and John in the, going up to the temple at the, the beautiful gate. And, and there you had, right, the most amazing thing. You had a, a man who was crippled, and he'd been crippled his life, and, and he asked for alms. And the duty that you would have is to give him some charity, help him with his life. So cool that that as they walked up and he's there and he asks for alms, I expect them to, I mean, surely they've got a few pennies they can give the man. And you saw, right? Instead what they do is they say, hey, look at us. And they give him this most amazing picture of fantastic wonder that you could ever have. They pull him up and he leaps for joy that he can walk. Everyone that looks at the man is amazed. Like Jason said, that's such an amazing picture of salvation. We're dead, and we became alive. And we gather here in this church. This is what we do every week. We gather to worship Jesus Christ because He's all we have, and because He's made us alive, and we rejoice, and we sing, and we're amazed, and that wonder is fantastic. And you know what starts to creep into that amazing picture of God's grace? I start to get uncertain. I start to get a little worried that I'm not doing the things I should do. Duty starts to creep in. Now, duty's not bad because there are a lot of things I should be doing. But my call to you and I this morning from the Bible, I want to show you in 1 Corinthians 9, that's where we are this morning. I want to show you how amazing it is that you and I can continue to delight, not as a new rule, but as the wonder of our salvation. It's like this, you know, I, I told you right now and I said, okay, you're going to take a drive down to Burlington today. Some of you would immediately start thinking about, do I have enough gas? What am I going to do with my dog? i to make sure I drive the speed limit so no one gives me a ticket. You know, I wonder if it's going to be hot, because I really don't like driving in the heat. I'm kind of a slog to drive all the way down there and back. But if I did what a friend did to me a while ago, he said, hey, I've got this convertible. Would you take it for a spin? I'm calling this take it for a spin. Would you take it for a spin, whole different animal, right? Wife in the seat, kids in the back. We're screaming and yelling. We're going down the thing. The wind's whipping through our hair. I think it was an old jaguar. It was cool. And we drove down, chucking out, down towards there. It was really fun. We were along for the ride. I want you to see something really important for your life. I don't know your circumstances, and they may be very difficult. But like the man who was crippled, and now you walk. If your faith is in Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Take it for a spin. It's amazing what we get. I want to show you this, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn there for me. We'll look at it together. 1 Corinthians 9, we're walking through this letter that Paul wrote to this Corinthian church who he calls saints, they're Christians, so he's talking to Christians. They have a lot of wrong things going on, so he's trying to help them get things straight. But as he does, this is one of the pieces that he has tried to help them with. Duty is real and not bad, but delight. Oh, you can have it. Okay, so the first thing is is just to remember where we're coming from. And as we go into this text, we've come in from chapter 8, which we looked at last week. And that was about Paul basically saying, or about foods, because they'd asked him this question about could they eat foods dedicated to idols? Not a big deal in our culture. You know, we don't think about, oh, no, I can't eat a food because someone prayed about it to, you know, Hinduism or something like that. But it was a real deal where they were. And what Paul said, remember? Paul said, hey, if you've got a tight conscience, if you think everything's wrong and you're afraid of doing this, that, or the other because you're going to get unclean, if you you just don't think you should live in this world and you want to hide away, you're weak. You're weak in conscience. You're weak in faith. He didn't say that to say get better. He just was saying it's true. There's the truth. That's the truth. And then he said, you know, there are strong people, and the strong people are free. And You know that you're free because Jesus Christ has set you free and cleansed your conscience. You stand in the robes of Christ. His blood covers you. But then remember how he got on those strong people and said, but don't you dare cause those weak people to stumble. So I want to pick it up there just for a minute so you see what it is we're talking about. Thus he says, he ended chapter 8, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I did have one friend this week ask me if I'm now a vegan. No, that's not what that means, right? He's talking about, oh, if you're going to draw somebody in and hurt their conscience, you shouldn't do it because you love your brother so much. So, wh- what's going on there is, is, is two things then. It, Paul anticipates it really well. He says, hey, I know, I know what's going to happen. There's a group now that's going to be mad at me because I just called them weak. They're the people who are like Bible students or telling me the law and the Ten Commandments and what I need to do and how I'm not doing it well enough. Now they're mad at me because they just said they're weak. These free people who are standing in the gospel." They're also going to be mad at me. Why? Because I'm telling them that they've got to give up their freedom. They say, hey, I'm free to go do anything. I'm free to experience the world. I'm free. Don't tell me what to do, Paul. So Paul steps back. And he says, wait a minute. I don't know that you're thinking rightly. About being fair. About duty. About the stuff you do. So he starts chapter 9. He says, am I not free? What's the answer? Yes. He's free. Paul's totally free. He's totally free in Christ to do anything because the Lord Jesus has set him free. Then he says, am I not an apostle? Yes, he's an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship In the Lord. So Paul stands there and he says, yeah, I'm strong. I'm free. And I'm an authority. He's not defending that he's an authority. He's just stating it. And it would resonate with them, right? I mean, this is Paul. He met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Jesus gave him a ministry to the Gentiles directly. The the Corinthian church, you know, it was founded because this guy came through on a missionary journey and spent time there and like evangelized and talked to people. What was his name again? Paul. If they're Christians, it's because of this man. He says, wait, if anyone has authority to talk to you today, if anyone's going to step back to you who've been saved, purchased by the blood of Christ and you're free, and and, and you're sad with me because I'm saying you might want to give up some of those freedoms, Paul says, the person who has authority to talk to you, is me. Right? He raises it way up high. He gives this incredible example from his own life that you really need to chew on with me. And it's this. What outshines the law? What outshines reason? Big question. You might not see how it fits into what we're talking about, but I'm telling you it does. Chew chew on it. Here we go. This is my defense, he says, to those who would examine me. So if you're mad at me about these things, either I'm calling you weak, I'm calling it like it is, or I'm telling you, hey, you might want to give up some of your freedom in Christ for the sake of somebody else. And you go, that's not right. That's not fair. You might be trapped in a way of thinking Paul's going to help you with. That's just flat out wrong. Come on in, he says. Now, I have, I have a right. If you're examining me about this, let me share a personal example from my life for you. Because that's what he does. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we, verse 4, not have the right to eat and drink? Um, no, Paul has the right to eat and drink like anyone else. He's not going to fast on a tower somewhere and be a, a, a monastic eat air no no that's just normal yeah no he has rights they're real rights he eats and drinks like anyone else do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas see what he's saying is is that a lot of the other ministers of the time that were going around they were married they had a helper someone that helped them was a companion and all these good things and and, and Cephas it's another name for Peter so Peter was married and Paul's saying, well, don't, don't I have that right too? What's the answer? Yeah, man, just like anyone else, you got that right. I, yeah, I suppose. It's reasonable. You, you're not somewhere somewhat lower than anyone else. In fact, Paul's just said, I'm the apostle. I saved you guys. Don't I have the, Don't I have these rights? Or is it only Barnabas and I, who have no right to refrain from working for a living, See where he's going. All these other ministers are supported by the church. He says, "And Barnabas and I, we make tents. Is this right? Shouldn't we be supported?" And your answer should be, "Well, I, I, I guess that's true. I, I think it's true. It's reasonable, right? It's, it's fair. He, he, he should be able to." Take a salary. I mean, verse 7, who serves as a soldier with, at his own expense? So if you're going to go fight for somebody, they're going to feed you, right? fight for nothing. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? I know, for me, <laughs> confession time, it's blueberry season. We go out in those blueberry lots and we pick them, and they're only a dollar a pound at this place for us. It's fantastic. But I think I still put two in the bucket and one in my mouth. I do tell them. <laughs> they're fine with it. Why? Because you're picking, right? You're doing some work for them, and they're, they're, you're leading the field, and you're paying for the privilege. And, but if you're not, if it's your own vineyard, you don't eat any of it? Of course you do. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? You see where he's going. His, his example are Logical, reasonable. You would support such a person. I've got a right, he says. Here it is. I, I've got, it's fair. It's reasonable. It's right. It's not only those things you know. I know, okay. This is not a defense of paying ministers. I know other you guys are going to be going, wow, Dax, okay, this is your last salary check. It's coming, I know. No, that's not the point. I mean, there are people who think that pastoral work or pastoral ministry is nothing. I, I, there are people who abuse it, who are really lazy or don't work hard. It's not about that. There are people who I remember my father-in-law way back in the day. He said, "Boy, I see you do something on Sunday, Dax. What do you do the rest of the week? Do you have time for golf? No. Please come with me on my week. It's super busy, right? But but that's it's not it's not even a defense of modern ministry. He's saying the logical, reasonable thing is that if someone is giving their life and pouring their life into something, you would you would help support them. That's what he's saying. Pretty easy. It's not just his reason." agrees, right? It's not just reason. He says, the law says this, the law of God. Do I say these things on human authority? He's making it bigger. Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned well, the answer is you go back to Genesis and look where he's quoting the from, and he is concerned about oxen. God doesn't want an animal mistreated, beaten, abused. How much more, says Paul, people, right? This was written down for us, he says. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, it is—is is it too much if we reap material things from you? I don't think it's hard to understand. I think he was expecting, and I think we also nod along. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. It makes sense of what he's saying. It's a principle of, of, of fairness. It's a right thing. And not only that, it's in the Bible. It's biblical. This is absolute truth right. It's, if others share this rightful claim on you, he said, do not we even more. And I, yeah, I get it. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this Right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know, he says, that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, so, so on the one hand, this, this answers forever, right? <laughs> hey, even the priest there that's serving in the temple, he, he eats there. Answers forever all these arguments who say ministers are parasites who live on other people. Paul's establishing. He says, hey, this is thoughtful and true and right, right? You can, you can hear that, but that's, you got to hear, once you're there, that's not his point. Once you nod with me and you see Paul, and we look not, not at any pastor, but we look at Paul. And we see the wonder of his apostleship and his message. And thousands of people saved through him. And these Corinthians who are, he's reading his letter, saved by him and through the Spirit. And this man says, hey, isn't it reasonable that you should pay me? And they're all going, yeah, I'm ready. Paul, come on up. We want to bless you. Of course. When you're there, now you're ready for his point. Here's the point, and it's directed at you and me. What lights you up? What do you delight in? Right, because, because that's what he said. I'll say it again. He, he, he says it again in verse 15. But I've made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I would rather die, he said, than have, have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What? Paul, aren't you building a case for for why you are supreme and you should be compensated? And then he says, I have the right. And you agree I have the right. And we all agree he has the right. And he says, but I'm not using it. Not trying to get you to give me money. Not trying to provoke you to guilt. In fact, he says, doesn't he? I'd rather die than have anyone rob me of my ground for boasting. I want to be able to boast. Okay, now he's running off the rails. Isn't boasting a bad thing? I mean, really? Isn't the Bible full? Boasting, another word for boasting is called pride. That's it, that word. My ground for pride. Your ground for pride. The whole Bible, what it's about is you're humble. Now Paul's saying, man, I'm not I'm going to do it because I'm telling you about Pride. What is he talking? This is big. Just because it's hard for us to understand, a lot of times we take that first point, oh yeah, yeah, we should pay pastors, and and we go off into missing the point. you got to get this. This is really important for you. That boasting that means, I have some pride, says Paul, humble Paul. He says, I have a ground for pride. It's a shocking word. We condemn boasting. We do so with good reason, you know. The kind of boasting we initially think of, because... I'll give you an example. There's many examples. But let me just read one of them. Romans 3 says this, verse 17. Then what becomes a boasting? This is Paul writing. Same word. What becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. See what he just did? He said, you and I have no reason to boast in what? Anything we do. I have no cause to go. Anything I do, no no ground for boasting. Why? Because the whole idea of me is that everything good is given to me from Christ. This is the law of faith. It's that I have to trust Jesus and all that he did instead of trusting me and all that I do. And so I have no cause to boast in the stuff I do. I can only boast in Christ. So, he can't be talking about that kind of boasting. It's not boasting in your works and what you do, in your duty. You know, it's like Jesus taught. I don't know if you remember when Jesus says, Hey, when you've done all you should do, think about all the things you should do. When you've done all the things you should do, then you consider yourself and you say, I am just a humble servant, I'm a slave. Because that's what it means. You do what you do because of course you should do what you do. You do all the things you do and at the end of that you just say, hey, I'm not worthy of a single thing. That's Jesus teaching. So so how could Paul say, I have a ground to boast? What is he boasting of? I know, I know, I know. It must be that he preaches the gospel so well. He's such a good gospel preacher. Man, I'm so proud that I'm an excellent, excellent gospel preacher. And that's kind of, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid on me. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. What is... If I do this of my own will, he says, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. He says there's these two things going on. I have a duty. I need to do my duty. God, in fact, Paul Paul had a special stewardship, right? He met with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He was made the apostle to the Gentiles. He was told to take the message out to this world. And so he had to do it. The fact that he did it well or poorly was nothing in terms of his boasting, in terms of what he could be proud of. His task, right? He even said, necessity is laid upon me. In other words, if I don't preach, I'm perfectly miserable. I really have no choice in the matter. It is my duty. And there is duty. And he had it. There's nothing wrong with the duty. It was a cool duty to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a servant of God, and duty is before him. And if he does it, of course he should do it. That's his duty. And, and, and see what he's doing, though? He's saying that, that I had something additionally that's actually reward for me. He uses the word reward. Do you see it? So now we've got boasting and reward, two words I normally say, oh, no, these are terrible words. How could he use them positively? Did you see it there? It says, man, if, if, if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. That's a word for wage. I get paid. See what he's doing. He's saying the truth is the truth. I mean, I never, never boast of my achievement. I'm not excited. I'm not proud when I do something for God, like somehow it merits something. But he does talk about a payment. He does talk about wages. He does talk about a reward. And my ear, ears perk up because you know what? I want to be extra special. I want to be paid. I think of a reward as something I get for being extra good. So so what is this reward that I can boast about? Funny you should ask. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, he says, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What? The reward is the reality that he's choosing of his own will, not to charge for what he has a right for. Oh, the light starts to go on. I hope the light goes on for you a little bit. Because here's these people saying, hey, I'm free. I'm right to do whatever I want. Why would I give that up? Paul says, hey, I have a right. I have a right right here. You deserve. I deserve this. You should do it for me. I'm choosing not to. And that choice not to, that free association with the gospel of Jesus, that is a reward right now for me. Not some future thing. Not extra treasure in heaven. Delight. Do you get it? Jesus wasn't paid. Jesus had rights. Jesus gave them up, all of them, for us, not for duty. What does Hebrew twelve say? For the joy set before him, <laughs> he endured the cross. That's my Savior. And and, and once you start to get this, once you start to be that lame man who was raised and all of a sudden can walk, all of a sudden your sin's forgiven, all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you want to leap for joy, that, that, that right there, that, and wanting other people to see the wondrous treasure that you found. I think of it like this, try and get it like this with me. Okay, so Christmas, I don't know about you for Christmas, maybe you're not like us, we do presents. Okay, there's four people in our house, and you start to have a little build of presents under this tree. And, and not big things, you know, little things, you sparkle them up with wrapping and whatnot. And there's anticipation, and then the day comes, and I'll, I'll tell you the truth. All I want to do is watch my kids open their presents. I don't want to open mine. I mean, come on, how excited can you be about socks? But 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 But, but truly... The joy isn't that, right? The joy is that you get to see your kid open up and have the joy of having that gift and they get it and your heart warms up because you've got to experience that of your kid getting it, who you love. That's what he's talking about. Not the duty of giving gifts, not the duty of a gift exchange, that happens, but the delight of the joy of the kid's eyes lighting up, watching them open presents, that's the reward. And so this then is his boast, that for the delight of it, For the leaping for joy of it. He doesn't insist on his rights because of his God-given love for the people around him. And this is his reward. He gets to make a gospel gesture towards them. He's duty-bound to preach it. But when he gets to break away from the duty and freely associate with Jesus, because Jesus is the best, most amazing, most incredible treasure the world will ever know, I get to image that for a minute. That's a great reward to me. Why? Because I have this treasure. I tasted it of you. The light itself is his reward. This is a radical viewpoint. Paul's so excited for other people to see this diamond. And really, isn't the diamond that, that we're the diamond? That we have a father who adores us. You've got a dad who adores you. Forever. When, when To take a ride in the car. The, the, this is amazing thing. You can take it for a spin. Here's the gospel and it's true. And you can go out and live it. And you can do radical different things that are outside the law. The law says you need to do this and this and this. And I get to say, no, I know that I have rights. But you know what I want to show you? A different amazing thing. The gospel. Bigger than the law. Do something that rocks people's world, small things, something that goes against moralism and duty and definition. Don't do it because your reward will be great in heaven. Do it because they don't expect it. (laughs) Your reward is doing something just because of the joy of the gospel. There's this parable in Matthew's gospel. We'll end with this. It's it's in Luke's too. In, In Matthew's gospel, it's the parable of the talents. In Luke's, it's the parable of the minas. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tells it to us. And he says, hey, there's three men, right? And a Master, and the Master's God. He says, hey, the Master gives each of the three men some money, a lot of money. And it, it talks about how he says, hey, go live with it. Go go, be. So they go and be. And and, and the first two guys, they, they invest their money, and they do stuff, and they live, and they come back, and they share with the Master the joy of what they've done and how cool things have happened and the, the experiences they've had or whatever, here's your money, and... All the stuff that happened with it. But the parable is really about the third guy. And it's the same in both of them. Because the third guy says, I know this master. He's a severe man, one parable says. He's a hard man, the other one says. He's not a nice father. And so I take this money that he gave me and I made sure I did my duty to not lose it. And I buried it in one parable, or I kept it in a handkerchief. Very safe place, handkerchiefs. So then, and then when the master came and he said, here it is, I've got it all. I didn't lose any of it because I was just afraid that if I did anything with it, that you know what, you would get me. So have it. And the point of this whole parable, Jesus says, hey, that last person, he said, I don't even know you. That's your view of you, who the master is? That he's a hard man and a severe man and he's after you with his duty and do's and do's and don'ts and what are you doing? That's this. Instead of the delight that your Father in heaven who adores you and has adored you since your first breath because of your trusting in his Son, you've been given life, and I don't know, your life is not my life, we all have life to live, and you can rejoice that you have it, and you can live it, and you can use, and this delight that you have actually spills out because you, because you realize you were that lame man who's been healed. You were the person who has nothing that's been given treasure. You're the person who is dead that's been made alive. You're the person that couldn't eat, who manna from heaven has come. You're the person thirsty, whose well, the spirit of life has, has become what you drink. And, and, and this is you because God loves you. Therefore, you get to take it for a spin. I call you this morning to delight. Find ways. Break out of duty thinking to do something that lights up the eyes of someone else. Because of the treasure you have. You can't do this if you don't have the treasure, if you don't even think it's special. So if you're there and you're having trouble, struggling with, man, I just want to touch somebody here. I'm so excited. Come back to the cross. Come back to Christ. Come back and see him again. Get soaked in the wonder of the love of your father for you. Not of your duty to love other people. But but if you get there, realize it is the reward itself to touch somebody. Because you are associating with Jesus the very life that you know. This is Paul. This is what he's talked about. This is, if you will, taking it for a spin. Stop measuring. Stop comparing. Just take this amazing treasure for a spin. It will not disappoint you. It's the best convertible there ever was.